Hi, folks, this is Abel, and thank you so much for listening to Fat-Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. I'm coming at you today from just outside of Phoenix, Arizona, from Allison's parents' grapefruit orchard, and it's a beautiful day, swelteringly hot, but I can tell you I just had my first real shower in about two weeks, and I feel terrific, and I hope you do too. So uh, this week's show is with Nina Teckels. It's a really good one about our country's sordid relationship with saturated fats. Uh, in case you were wondering why I haven't showered in so long, <laughs> it's because we just got back from uh, a series of adventures, the latest of which was going to Burning Man. If you don't know what that is, it's just, you know, the name of the show is a funny play on words from a few different directions, but one of them is uh, the Burning Man Festival is out in the middle of nowhere in the uh, Nevada desert, and we just came from there camping out of a uh, small SUV because our truck actually caught fire on the way to Burning Man. Think about that for a second. Uh, can't make this stuff up. But yeah, but just outside of Reno, we were stranded on the side of the highway for a while. If you've been keeping up with our story, we just downsized. We got out of the apartment, got rid of pretty much all of our stuff and moved into a fifth wheel trailer. So we were pulling that with the truck, the new truck <laughs> that caught fire on the side of the road. And uh, man, has it been a pretty impressive past few weeks, but we're really, really excited to be back here uh, in Arizona, and we're going to be continuing our tour of the country. A few things to look forward to. Might be going to Nashville in the next few months. Looking forward to that, to hang out with Denny Hemmingson, who's the lead guitarist and band leader for the Tim McGraw Band, and he's a past guest of the show as well. Um, if you haven't listened to those shows, be sure to check him out. Just a sweetheart of a guy with a lot of really... Uh, veteran knowledge about how to eat well on the road and he does it right so uh, hopefully we're going to be hanging out with him in the next few months i'm going to be back on the radar but we're going to be living out of the rv with our dog for the next few months and we'll see how that goes uh, but i'll be keeping you updated it'll be really difficult for me to do video versions of this this podcast show fat burning man so what i'm going to do is continue to do the audio only version of this show that's the way i asked you guys uh, how do most of you listen? And uh, most of you do do just that. You listen as opposed to watching the video on YouTube or whatever. Um, that said, we've been shooting separately a lot of specific video content. I'm coming up in a few documentaries. One of them is coming from uh, Pedram Shojai. He's another past guest of the show. Origins and Vitality are the names of his films. And I'm really looking forward to you guys seeing all of his stuff. Uh, we've been shooting some other video the first time we shot for some of the webisodes that we have coming up. He made me break my foot while we were out bouldering. So still working on that and coming back from it, but never a dull moment. I'm just practicing my handstand push-ups now. So <laughs> who needs your feet for that? So once again, I just don't want to apologize because I missed a week. I think this is out of the hundred, over a hundred shows that I've done over the past like three or so years. I think this is only the third week that I've missed a show. And that's uh, simply because our truck caught fire and we were stranded and then we went to Burning Man and we're off the grid for about a week. So it's uh, really good to be back. And obviously I'm going to be keeping these shows coming to you, um, especially the audio versions. And then we're going to be, uh, why don't you look forward to some of the webisodes that we have coming up, including uh, Breaking a Foot. I did a fake before and after shoot, which is really interesting. I basically let myself go for a couple of weeks and uh, grew my beard out and had body hair and just kind of looked overall schlubby, really needed a haircut, and then um, showed you how easy it is to make fake before and after shots. So look forward to that. That should be coming out 
on my YouTube channel, uh, as well as my video podcast, Fat Burning Man, in the next few weeks or months, depending on how we package it up for you guys. But the best way to make sure that you uh, get all of the updates, including our new app, which I'm really excited about, go to fatburningman.com, put in your best email address, and we'll fix you right up. Okay, so on to this show with Nina. A decade ago, investigative journalist Nina Teckel set out to uncover the truth about our country's misguided conception that eating delicious butter, beef, and cheese would make us fat and give us heart attacks. In this incredibly open, honest interview, Nina touches on a little bit of what's covered extensively in her new book, The Big Fat Surprise, Why Butter, Meat, and Cheese Belong in a Healthy Diet. You'll be relieved to know that the foods that should be on your dinner plate are much more delicious than the frozen, low-fat, weight control dinner. Trust me, I know I'm the fat-burning man. All right, let's go hang out with Nina. All right, folks, Nina Teichels is an investigative science journalist, and we're here to talk about the story behind fat. Nina, how's it going? Hi there. So uh, I'm excited about this because a lot of people have heard bits and pieces about fat used to be bad and some fat, saturated fat, I think is bad or is it good for me and omega-6s and 3s. They hear a lot of terms thrown around. What they don't hear a lot of is uh, all of the background because we didn't used to ha- like basically think of fats in numbers and in scientific terms. We basically just ate food. And it, it wasn't until we kind of started deconstructing everything that we really ran into a lot of problems. So let's kind of approach things from the opposite side uh, and tell the story behind fat. And before we do that, just uh, let's catch people up a little bit about your work, what you do, and what you specialize in. Okay, so I wrote a book called The Big Fat Surprise, Why Better Meat and Cheese Belong in a Healthy Diet. That is a book that basically took me almost a decade to write. I'm a science investigative journalist, and I started out by, I was basically a low-fat eating vegetarian and um, got this little side gig to write a restaurant review column where we didn't have money to pay for meals. So I went into the restaurant. The chefs, I discovered, don't want to send out chicken breasts and stir-fried vegetables. They want to send out red meat and cream sauce and pate. and Tastes better. That was my introduction to these foods. And I found that all of a sudden I lost this stubborn 10 pounds I had been struggling with. Mm -hmm. And my cholesterol markers look great. So that was a huge mystery. And that was like a decade ago that I started to embark on this whole journey about to try to understand what is the history of why we believe what we believe now, that fat and saturated, especially saturated fats. Mm-hmm. My book is mainly, my book really lays out all the arguments about why saturated fat, the kind of meat, cheese, bit, butter, dairy, eggs, why right. that kind of fat is not bad for health. Um, and it the story really begins in the 1950s when the United States was in a panic about the epidemic of heart disease that had risen out of nowhere to become the nation's number one killer by the 1940s. Mm -hmm. And there were many ideas about, you know, what caused heart disease and heart attacks. And there was one scientist named Ansel Keys, who was a pathologist at the University of Minnesota, and he proposed saturated fats as the dietary culprit, causing Mm -hmm. saturated fats would cause your cholesterol levels to go up, total cholesterol, And that would clog your arteries and give you a heart attack. It was like this simple two-step process, three-step process that he believed caused heart attacks. And he was this outsized character, incredibly charismatic, incredibly forceful man. And he managed to get his idea. He persuaded 
the nutrition committee at the American Heart Association. He got his idea implanted into the American Heart Association in 1961. So the very first dietary guidelines to, at that point, just middle-aged men to fight heart disease began in 1951. That's the beginning of this hypothesis that yeah. has guided and dominated our dietary advice for the last 50 years. But it's really important to know that when that became our dietary advice in 1961, there were there was no science, there were no trials, there was right. no science backing up that idea. Mm-hmm. And my book including like, the just, original study. <laughs> as yeah. it turns out. So what he did, he had he had the biggest study that had ever been done called the seven country study. That was like the big bang of nutrition science. Like yeah. It was, he studied almost 13,000 men in seven different countries around the world. And what he found, he thought, although it was deeply flawed, for example, in Crete where he sampled men, he sampled them during Lent, mm-hmm. you know, a religious holiday when you're abstaining from meat, cheese, butter, dairy, eggs. So right. he drastically undercounted the amount of saturated fat that they were eating. But And there were other methodological problems, like he cherry-picked his countries. He only chose ones that he knew would confirm his hypothesis and avoided countries like France, right. where they eat a lot of saturated fat, but mm-hmm. they didn't have a lot of heart disease, and West Germany. And so, um, But that study, in the end, he it shows it's an epidemiological study, mm-hmm. and it shows association, not causation. Um, but that was the piece of evidence that was used by the American Heart Association for those very first dietary recommendations, this weak science. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the story- Non-science, makes, you might so, even say. Well, I mean, epidemiology is a fine science, but it's used to suggest hypotheses, right? right? It's not, it can't be used as proof. Yeah. So it can suggest an idea, does saturated fat cause heart disease? Here's something right. that suggests it might be true. And then you have to do a clinical trial to actually sh- to demonstrate proof or to mm-hmm. try to, there's no such thing really as proof in science, to try to show that there's some evidence behind your hypothesis. Yeah. And, you know, the story of our 50 years of low-fat, low-saturated fat dietary recommendations has really been suffused by the kind of overuse of this weak nutritional epidemiological studies and and overusing them as proof, like pushing them beyond what they can really tell us. Mm -hmm. And that's because nutrition science is hard to do. It's expensive. Following people over a long period of time or feeding them in a clinical trial is really expensive and hard to do. And so poor, you know, weak evidence has been made to suffice, Yeah. but it's been wrong. I mean, we subsequently have clinical trials to show that this was a hypothesis that just could not, the evidence really has not supported it. Right. And the evidence, like, and that's what you find so often, especially in the field of nutrition, is that you, you're just like, oh, this is the thing. And once we figure out this thing, then we have the answer to everything. And as soon as, like, the farther you go down that path, the more you realize, oh, it's actually not as simple as we thought it was, you know, and, and you kind of see that happening at least with some of the infighting now in uh, uh, especially the blogosphere and online communities where you have people arguing about like, well, are there any carbohydrates that are good for you? Like which ones are safe? Which ones are toxic? Is the, And, and uh, also you look at uh, as soon as anything uh, kind of catches on in the food world, all of a sudden the vultures come in and try to profit off of it almost immediately. Right. And so you see that happening to Stevia now. Uh, I, I know you mentioned in your book the olive oil industry and a lot of like where our ideas about certain diets 
as being healthy come from are actually more from advertising than from any sort of scientific data set. Um, Can you talk a little bit about some of those outside influences that have, uh, I guess, convinced us about conventional wisdom that that doesn't actually rely on any sort of reality? (laughs) Yeah, I mean... You cover a lot of ground in what you're talking about, but I'm just going to choose the the topic of industry influence yeah. in nutrition science Perfect. is a big one. Mm-hmm. So, and it goes back to those very first American Heart Association guidelines in 1961 when Americans were told cut back on saturated fat and instead instead of meat, cheese, dairy, eggs, eat unsaturated fat, vegetable oils instead. You know, safflower, sunflower, peanut, corn. Eat those oils instead. Mm-hmm. Well, when that was happening, Procter and Gamble, um, which the maker of Crisco Oil, mm-hmm. they had basically been the transformative backer of the American Heart Association. The American Heart Association was like this sleepy professional society, barely had any money. And then Procter and Gamble came along and said, okay, we're going to desig- make you the designee of our popular radio show that we're a sponsor of. And overnight, $1.7 million, this is in 1948 flowed into the American Heart Association coffers and overnight transformed it into the national power. They opened chapters all over the country and transformed it into a national powerhouse. And Procter & Gamble continues to be a backer of the American Heart Association today. So, and, and, And the American Heart Association, coincidentally, was recommending that everybody eat vegetable oils Mm -hmm. made by Procter & Gamble. So (laughs) imagine that. That's just one story. There are the food the food industry has known has been very wise about steering the nutrition conversation from the very beginning they uh before the national institute of health was even founded to provide research funding the big food companies you know this was the early like the 1930s and 40s that was when general you know general foods and best foods and kellogg's all those companies were were growing up and they founded back in 1940 something called the Nutrition Foundation and the aim of that was to influence science at its source. Mm-hmm. So they will fund studies at Harvard, Yale, Pennsylvania, you know, prestigious universities and influence the very scientists themselves, mm-hmm. um, influence the research science itself. And I have an amazing quote in my book by a vice president of one of the big edible oil companies today saying, if you give money, if you pay a quarter of a million dollars for a study at a university, you can be pretty well sure that it's going to end up saying what you want. Right. <laughs> so, and I mean, there's science to back that up too, right? I mean, it's yeah, it's I mean, some crazy you, ratio that those studies that are they come out biased toward the funder the vast majority of the time. Right. You can design. You can't totally rig a study, but. Right. You can make a study so that it is likely, if the result is negative, it's, it just doesn't come out looking mm-hmm. so bad for your product. Sure. And, um, and so the hand of industry has really been in this story throughout. I mean, all the early studies comparing high saturated fat diets to low saturated fat diets, all the food in those low saturated fat diets where all that food was provided by the food industry, right? Because, Mm -hmm. and they, and it's amazing to think in retrospect, like how anybody, I mean, the foods that they provided in those studies are things like soy filled milk and soy filled cheese and soy hamburgers. This is like, I'm talking in the 1970s. And this, and so 
the scientists in those studies had to believe that, you know, these just invented foods provided by food companies mm -hmm. would restore Americans back to their original health. Right. <laughs> Compared to meat, cheese, butter, dairy, eggs, which right. had been in our diet for thousands of years before well, the epidemics of heart disease and diabetes and obesity. Yeah. In, in a way, you can kind of like, you can see why that would be the case. It's like, we just put a man on the moon. Um, you know, technology is something that, at, at least at that point, was so breakthrough, just like mind blowing, right? You need to re-examine uh, your your stature in the world, what it means to be a human being, if you can put a human being on the moon. And so, anything like thus, if you follow that logic, that all of these new things that are coming out, that scientists and lab coats invent, that are better than food, that makes sense, of course. Like we can we can do that now, but that logic kind of falls apart over the course of the next few decades. That is such a great observation because it is absolutely true that Americans, this was a period when the faith in scientific inventions over, you know, compared to like old traditional ways, Americans were so open to these new ideas, probably more so than in other countries. I, I think right. it's not a coincidence that it was Americans who first adopted this low saturated fat diets because we're a nation of immigrants. 